At this time, I do invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. Our passage for today is also found on page 10 in your worship guide. John chapter 17, I'll be reading verses 20 through 26 as we finish up our study of John chapter 17. And as I read, I would once again remind you that this is indeed the word of God. It's true forever. It's a life-giving, precious gift. And I pray that we all will receive it as such this morning. I invite you to stand for the reading of the word of God. Jesus prays the end of his prayer here in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. What Jesus prays for us here in John 17 is truly filled with treasure. We could think of it as a bag full of precious jewels. And we have just a short time this morning to enjoy them. Now we could spend all of our time on just one jewel of truth, examining it, appreciating its beauty. But what I aim to do this morning is just take a few of those jewels out of the bag and set them on the counter and highlight the splendor in each one. So the first jewel will be this, Jesus prays for you. Beloved, Jesus knows you. He knows you by name. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. And he prays for you. And what he prays, he provides. He does what is necessary to answer his own prayer. So the things that he prays that we'll look at, the things that he wants for you, he will also make happen. Second jewel, Jesus wants us to be one. He actually brings us into the oneness that he shares with his father. Now you will have to listen carefully because that almost sounds like heresy. I am not saying that Jesus makes us gods or that he brings us into the Godhead, but he does bring us into the fellowship, the love of the triune God. This is amazing. And I don't think we have any clue how wonderful it is. Or what it truly, really means. Third jewel. Jesus wants us to be with him. 
Jesus wants us to be with him where he is to see his glory. And he wants this for both your joy and for his joy. Beloved, there's a greater joy to come for both us and for Jesus. And then we'll bring all these jewels together in a closing wonder of wonders. Jesus wants all the world to know that he was sent by the Father to bring us into his eternal relationship of love. And he does everything that is necessary to make this happen. So those are the jewels we're going to look at this morning. I once heard a pastor say that he was almost embarrassed at the amount of riches that Christ had lavished upon him. Have you ever felt that way? You know, just, just imagine this, this big space was your office, and you had a table, an, a desk right there in the middle, and you're surrounded by other co-workers' desks all throughout the day, all, all throughout the room, and, and one day, not a holiday, not your birthday, just any ordinary day, all of a sudden somebody came to you and they started delivering gifts to you, one after the other. Balloons and flowers and chocolates and your favorite lunch, and you just started to pile them up on your desk, and they just kept coming and coming, filling all the drawers of your desk. Now you have to start putting them around you on the floor, all around your desk, and they come one after the other after the other. And there's just alignment of delivery people all throughout this room, out the doors, out into the parking lot, all the way out to the meeting house, all the way down Crable Church Road. There's no end in sight. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. One gift after the other. They start to fill up the entire space. You now have to start putting them on other people's desks. And the gifts just keep getting more wonderful, better than the one before. New shoes, a new backpack, a new watch, a new chainsaw. Better and better and better. Filling up the entire room. Beloved, what God has given us is more wonderful than you can imagine. It is better than any and all material gifts you could ever receive. Our God is a generous giver. I said this prayer is filled with jewels. We can't look at all of them this morning. One of them we haven't even mentioned. If you go back and read John chapter 17, you will find Jesus used the word give or given or gave 12 times in this prayer. Our God is a generous giver and every gift he gives us is undeserved. Undeserved. And what he primarily gives us is himself. (laughs) The Almighty God gives us himself. The love of the Father. The fellowship of the triune God. Do you remember Luke 12, 32? Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure To give you the kingdom. This is your God. A generous giver. The riches God has lavished on his children. They are more and they are better than you know. So let's take a look at a few of these jewels together. First, Jesus prays for you. And most of this first jewel I've taken directly from Michael Reeves' excellent book, Delighting in the Trinity. If you want to read a a short but excellent book, I highly recommend that to you. But John 17, as you may know, is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. For Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one that all the Old Testament priests pointed to. 
and for us to appreciate the significance of what Jesus does in this prayer, both what he prays for and what he's about to do on this night when he will, he will be betrayed into the hands of evil men and he'll be nailed to the cross. If we want to appreciate the significance of, that, of all of that, it will help us if we take a moment to remember the work of the high priests of God's people in the Old Testament. Men like Aaron, the brother of Moses. They were appointed to come before the Lord on behalf of God's people. And they would bring the blood of the annual sacrifice of atonement into the Lord's presence. Now to be a high priest of Israel, you had to be an Israelite, specifically of the tribe of Levi. You had to share in the flesh and blood of God's people. What did God do? He sent his own son from heaven. Jesus took our flesh and blood. He became one of us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if you were a high priest in Israel in the Old Testament, you had one highlight every year. One day every year that was the highlight of your year. It was the day of atonement. On that day, the priest would take a goat and he would sacrifice the goat. The animal would die for the sins of the people. And he would bring the blood of that sacrifice into the very presence of the Lord in the tabernacle. We know this was just symbolic. Hebrews tells us it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And John tells us that Jesus is the true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of his people. So Jesus did not sacrifice a goat, but his own body, our flesh and blood, when he died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus is about to do that. When he gathers together with his disciples on this night, the night of his betrayal. But before he does that, he prays for us. And this high priestly prayer reveals what his death would accomplish. But first, here in John 17, Jesus does the more ordinary work of the high priest. But it was work that depended on that sacrificial act of atonement. Well, what was that ordinary work? The ordinary work was the daily offering, not just once a year, but in the Old Testament, the daily offering of bringing this sweet-smelling incense, this aroma that would rise up before the Lord in the tabernacle. Now picture this. The Old Testament priest would do this while wearing over his heart a golden plate, a breastplate with 12 jewels on it. And each jewel was inscribed with the name of one of the tribes of Israel. So the high priest would be in the presence of the Lord with the people of God, as it were, on his heart. This is what Jesus is doing in John chapter 17. He comes before God his Father with the incense of his prayers, and he does so with the people of God on his heart, with you on his heart. Verse 20, what does he say? He's praying. He says, I do not ask for these only. Not just Peter and James and John and and the other 11 disciples who were there hearing him pray. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about you. 
He's talking about all those who believe his word, his gospel. If you believe, he's praying for you. So this is the first jewel on the counter. Jesus brings you in him, on his heart, before his father. The father sent his son. He became one of us and died our death. Why? To bring us back into the presence of his father as a jewel on his heart. Beloved, Jesus prays for you. He lovingly brings you into the presence of the father. It's an incredible gift. Now, what does Jesus pray as he does this? These are his last words, his last requests. What does he want? What does he most desire? These are the next two jewels on the counter. Jesus wants us to be one, and he wants us to be with him. Now we'll look at the second one first. I'm going to reverse the order. And then we'll focus on Jesus' main requests. But Jesus wants us to be with him. He wants us to be with him. Did you hear what Jesus prayed in verse 24? You have your Bibles open. You have the worship guide open. Look at it again. Jesus prayed this. This is what he wants. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. When we began our study of John, we looked at chapter 1, the prologue, the introduction. And in verse 18, we are told that Jesus is at the Father's side. He is eternally in the loving presence of the Father. And Jesus wants all believers there with him. He wants you there with him. The Father sent the Son for this purpose to fulfill this prayer, this desire of Jesus, so that we, who had rejected Jesus, we, who had rebelled against God our maker, so that we might be brought back into the family. Not as creatures, not even simply as servants, but as children to enjoy the bountiful love that the Son has always known. This is what Jesus wants for his people. And beloved, is this not a great comfort to us believers? It's great comfort and hope for all believers when a fellow believer dies or when we face death ourselves. Yes, Jesus weeps with us in our sorrows. And God is the Father of all comfort, the God of all mercies. But Jesus also rejoices in his loved ones. When his brothers, when his sisters are finally brought home. The psalmist says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Beloved, Jesus wants us to be with him, to enjoy the full display of his glory. And when that happens... Our joy will increase, and his joy will increase. That's a beautiful jewel. You might want to just take that home and keep it and and look at it every now and then. 
But now let's turn to Jesus' main request in this prayer. This, this third jewel, if you're keeping track. Jesus wants us to be one. He wants us to be one. Now Jesus, he's a good Presbyterian pastor. He mentions this three times in this prayer. That's a bad joke for Presbyterians. Verse 21, but let's look at him. So verse 21, that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they become perfectly one. So there's no doubt, right, about what he wants. He wants us to be one. But how does he illustrate that oneness? What does he point us to? He points us to his own oneness with the Father. Look again, verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. So the relationship of the Father and the Son is used to illustrate Jesus' prayer for us to be one. Now again, to be clear, Jesus is not asking that we become divine beings. He's not making us God or part of the Godhead. But he is bringing us into the fellowship of the triune God He unites us to himself and to one another. He is in us and we are in him. Listen to the statements that he makes here. These are jewels on the counter. The father is in the son. Verse 21 and verse 23. The son is in the father. Verse 21. Believers, we are in the father and the son. Verse 21, and then verse 23 and verse 26, Jesus, the Son, is in us. I really think we have no clue how wonderful this is. We don't understand the beauty and the wonder and the glory. We'll have all eternity to enjoy it. Jesus wants us to be one. And our oneness, our unity, where does it come from? It doesn't come from me doesn't come from you doesn't come from what we do our oneness is derivative of it is based on it's made possible by it's intimately linked to the oneness and the unity of the triune god now this oneness it's not sameness it's not uniformity we are not all the same person the father is not the son the son is not the holy spirit yet they are one. They are equal in power and glory, yet they are distinct persons. The oneness is not sameness. It's not uniformity. We're not the same person, nor do we all do the same thing. So we can be one, we can be united, and still have differences of opinion and action on important but secondary issues. But we cannot be united. We cannot have this oneness that Jesus desires, that he prays for, without a common belief in the gospel. Who does Jesus pray for? He prays for those who believe in him through the word of the disciples. The word was the gospel they preached. It was the inspired word of God that they wrote down, that we've been studying. John, at the end of this gospel, what does he say? These things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
And that's by believing you may have life in his name. So it's this belief, this life that unites us. The Apostle Paul would say, I deliver to you of first importance, what? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is what unites us to get together. And this oneness is given. It's a gift from God. It's a result of God's work in us through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not man-made. We don't create it. We can grow in it. We can walk in it. We can be faithful to it. We can do things that may hinder our experience of it. But this oneness does not come from us. And it doesn't stand alone. We can't just be one. We can only be one in Christ. And so when Jesus prays for us to be one, he doesn't give us a list of things to do here. He points us to faith in him to union with him, and he points us to the love of the Father. We'll consider that in just a moment. But this oneness is not uh, denominational. It's not organizational. What unites us is not that we are Presbyterian, not that we are Reformed. What unites us is not that we are Democrats or that we are Republicans. What unites us is not that we are American or Ethiopian, What unites us is not that we prefer the organ or the drums. What unites us is Jesus. The one true God, our only Savior. So this oneness is not organizational, but it is visible. It is visible. Beloved, our visible unity, seen in the Father's love for us, our love for him, our love for one another, it's a witness to the world. And listen, it is more important than our personal preferences. It's more important than our national freedoms. It's more important than our religious freedoms. It's more important than our freedom in Christ. Now, most of the, most of the time for us, it's not either or. We don't have to make that choice most of the time, either visible unity or our freedoms. But when it is, Unity and love come first. More important than those other freedoms. The visible display of our union with Christ, of our unity, our love for one another, they are more important. So what do we do? We die to self. We count the needs of others as more significant than our own. Through love, we serve one another. What do we do? We do what our Savior did. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we do this for the sake of Christ and for the gospel, for the sake of our witness to the world. You see, this oneness that Jesus prays for is not an end in itself. He's not praying for unity simply for unity's sake. It's just just as important that we know why Jesus prays this as we know what he prays for. And so we come to the last jewel on the counter. And this is the one that that brings all the rest together. This is the wonder of wonders. Jesus wants all the world to know that he was sent by the Father to bring us into his eternal relationship of love. 
And he has done everything that is necessary to make that happen. He's done all that is necessary. Jesus prays that we will be one because he wants all the world to know that he was sent by the Father. He says this twice in his prayer. In verse 21, they will be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. He says it again, verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. The world needs to know that Jesus is the only Savior. That he is the one sent by God the Father to save them from their sins. That he indeed is God in the flesh. But Jesus doesn't want us just to know this as a fact. Let's, we can download that information into our head. He wants us to know why. He wants us to see the heart behind it. Why did the Father send the Son? The Father sent his Son because he loved the Son. And because God is a generous giver, he wanted his eternal relationship of love between himself and the Son to be shared, to be enjoyed by all the people that he created. Verse 24, Jesus says the Father loved him before the foundation of the world. So before God ever created the world, what was he? What was he doing? He was a father loving his son. Before he ever created the world, he created the world, why? To share this glory and this love with us. The reason the father sends the son is so that the Father's love for the Son might be in us also. This is why the Son goes out from the Father, both in creation and salvation, that the love of the Father for the Son might be shared with us. Listen to that. The reason the Father sends the Son is so that the love of the Father might be shared with us. The reason the Father sends the Son so that the love of the Father for the Son might be shared with us. I'll keep saying it till I get an amen. That truth, here's, here's the reality. That truth, that good news, it's better than you know. It's far better than you know. You, most of you know I'm a, a big sports fan. If we were all sports fans, this is the moment where the crowd goes wild. And we start cheering. And running around the building. Because this is such good news. The reason the father sends the son is so the love of the father for the son. It's that love that now is shared with us. That's in us. Now, in order for that love to be shared. What must be done? Our sin must be atoned for. Jesus must do not just the ordinary work of the high priest. Offering up his prayers for us. But he must do that great work of the high priest, offering his own life as the sacrificial lamb who takes away our sin. The, apostle, uh, the disciple John, who wrote this gospel that we've been studying, he also wrote the letter of 1 John. And this is how he says it in chapter 4. And you can hear, you can hear these jewels coming out in his expression. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world. 
the love of God on display. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a big word, propitiation. We looked at it when we studied 1 John. It basically means this. Propitiation is a sacrifice that bears the punishment for our sins in our place. So that instead of God's wrath being on us, what we rightly deserve for our rebellion and our rejection of him, instead of his wrath being on us, Jesus has taken that wrath in his own body on the tree. He's turned it aside. So now what is on us? The love of the Father for the Son. The love of the Father for the Son is on us. His favor is on us. Beloved, what Jesus prays for, he provides. Now, how does he make all this possible? Verse 22. The glory that you have given to me, I've given to them. The glory you've given to me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus wants us to be one, and the way he makes this happen is by giving us the glory that the Father gave him. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. It's more wonderful than I know. But I think there are two primary ways that Jesus does this. He does it by his work of revelation and his work of reconciliation. Revelation and reconciliation. Verse 26, Jesus says that he's made known to us God's name. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known. So through his entire life, All that Jesus did and said, he revealed to us the glory of God, the beauty, the excellence of the character of God. We behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has made that glory known to us. He's revealed it to us. But Jesus also gives us his glory by his work of reconciliation. He fulfills the office of a priest How? And is once offering up of himself a sacrifice. He gives himself as that required sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and do what? Reconcile us to God. He pays for the forgiveness of our sins and he brings us to the Father. He removes the barrier and he restores the relationship. And in so doing, Jesus gives us The smile of God. The smile of God. What do parents do when they see a newborn child? So much joy. They can't contain it. Did you hear what Jesus prayed in verse 23? (laughs) This passage is filled with jewels. Father, you loved them. Who? Who? You. You believe the gospel? He's talking about you. He's talking about you, beloved. Father, you loved them. How? Even as you loved me. Father, you love them even as you love me. Beloved, the Father loves you even as he loves Jesus. The way God the Father looks at you is the way he looks at his son, at Jesus, our Savior. The joy, the embrace, the smile, the pleasure the Father has in and for Jesus, the Son, he has for you. 
and for all believers. Every single one, the saints in the land in whom is all his delight. And beloved, this is the basis for our unity. Our complete acceptance by God the Father. Jesus restores our relationship with God. He brings us into the fellowship of the triune God. Verse 26, Jesus closes and he says this, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So it's not only, it's not only that Jesus brings you on his heart into the presence of the Father, but also that you receive the spirit with which Jesus was anointed. Jesus said in John 16, the spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The spirit takes what is the son's and makes it ours. When the spirit rested on Jesus at his baptism, what did Jesus hear the father say? You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now that same spirit of sonship rests on you. God is a generous giver, beloved. That same spirit of sonship rests on you. The same words apply to you. They are true of you. Let's not listen to our adversary. He's a liar. Let's listen to the word of God, to what our Savior says. Beloved, you are the Father's child whom he loves. With you, he is well pleased. And Jesus, our great high priest, you are an adopted, a beloved, a spirit-anointed daughter or son. So, beloved... As the Son brings you on his heart into the presence of the Father with their spirit on you, you can cry boldly with joy. Amen. Abba, Father, their fellowship, the fellowship of the triune God, you now freely share. You can understand why I say we have no clue what this means. I cannot wrap my mind around this. I thank you for allowing me to meditate on this all week long. It's just incredible. Their fellowship you now freely share. The Most High is your Father. Jesus the Son is not ashamed. Hear that. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but he is not ashamed to call you brother, to call you sister. He delights in you. And the Spirit is your comforter and the seal of your salvation. The the triune God has sent his Spirit on you to guarantee that Jesus' prayer will be answered. Where does he want you? With him. He sent his spirit to guarantee it. He's going to bring you home. Beloved, you share in their oneness. Jesus said, I in them and you in me, that they may be in us the fellowship of the triune God for all eternity. So this is the best news the world has ever heard. It's the best news the world has ever heard. This is the hope of the world and the kingdom to come. Beloved, do you see the goodness? Do you see the glory of your Savior? Are you not overwhelmed? 
almost embarrassed at the amount of riches that Jesus has lavished on you. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 13. David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Indeed, he has, beloved. Amen.